Hey guys, just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to Sidebar Forever. If you like the show, please subscribe to us at sidebarforever.com as well as share episodes of the podcast on your social media. That way, new listeners can find us as well. All right, consider this our opening statement. For us, Howard Chaykin is one of the all-time creative titans in comics. He's a writer, an artist, a draftsman, and a consummate storyteller, a raconteur, if you will. He pens terrific essays about comics and the business and craft of making them. And he's also just a really great talker. As a former guest of the podcast, we can definitely confirm this firsthand. One of the things that makes Chaykin an all-time great in our eyes is that he has achieved so much by being a simple journeyman of the craft. Like Liam Neeson in the film Taken, he has a particular set of skills because he puts it in the work. And yes, it is the work we want to discuss today. Swine and I sat down and litigated his five best comics. Now we're talking about an individual whose career goes back 50 years with Cody Starbuck, Dominic Fortune, American Flag, Times Squared, Black Kiss, The Shadow, and countless others. I'm Adrian Johnson. There was a lot of evidence to go through and some cross-examining did take place, but Swain and I did it. And today, we present to the court Howard Chaykin's five best comics. Man, I, uh... I sat down, man, and was pouring over my back issues, my graphic novel, uh, The Star's My Destination, mm. and, um... And uh, and I read that uh, that long form interview that uh, Chicken did with uh, Comics Forum Fandom, I think it is Comics Fandom Forum. And this was and it was actually published in 1983. So chances are he was either working on American Flag, or it was just before he started working on American Flag. I guess once uh, First Comics gave him you know a bunch of money to go ahead and do something for him, which he says he still doesn't understand why they did. Uh, and many of the things that I uh, that I have enjoyed about his past interviews, and as you and I both know, he's not someone who shies away from interviews. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, <laughs> and he considers himself a guy who likes to talk to guys who like to talk. They go like Sydney Green Street. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, but mm-hmm. um, but man, uh, just really loved kind of revisiting some of those old comics. You know, comics that I, you know, I first read when I was, you know, 15, 16, 17, mm-hmm. you know, became a real, really tremendous fan, you know, around that age and, you know, 18, 19. Um, and then, you know, and have followed his career, you know, from the very beginning. I, as you mentioned in our text exchange, that at one point you were a shaken completist. Yes. Okay. As was I. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, I have a copy of, you know, the Scorpion. Oh, okay. I do have that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Iron Wolf, all that stuff. And, and, and even some of the, you know, the stuff after that. And then coming all the way up into the, you know, the 80s and the 90s. And then even up to mostly to modern day. 
Um, most everything else, you know, has definitely been on my reading pile and I've enjoyed it, but. Now, are you, now are you the type, cause I know for myself, you know, when it comes to shaking, it's like, man, you got, you got to like be on the hunt for it in terms of like his contemporary um, books coming out. Like you almost have to know in advance. Mm -hmm. This one shot is coming out in September. It's June now, so you better get to the shop and tell them, I want this, or you better be on the lookout for it. Because Chicken, he'll sneak in some one-shots on you. You're like, what? He did that? What? <laughs> yeah. Um, not, not as much. I'm probably thinking Blade came out in, what, like maybe 2010, 12, something like that? Yeah, yeah, because I remember you guys were interviewing uh, Marco Djurjevic about his covers, so around that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe earlier than that then. It might have been 2009. Mm-hmm. 2009, 2010. But um, that was probably the, the last series that I really got into. And, you know, I think that was written by Mark Guggenheim. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, not a bad writer, but... um. As it relates to his to Chaikin's work, I think I certainly as as with anyone who would be a fan of the, of this man, I I much prefer him writing and drawing his own material. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh and, and honestly, and this is something I didn't think about until just now. He might be the only one, maybe Jim Starlin is is number 2. But he's one of the few writer artists from that period in the 70s and 80s and 90s, mostly the 80s and the 90s, mm -hmm. where as a writer artist, if I have to choose, I'll take him writing for another artist as opposed to him drawing for another writer. Hmm. I'd be apt to agree with that. I'd be apt to agree with that. Yeah, because case in point, like, you know, there was uh, very much a critical acclaim for Satellite Sam when that came out um, a few years back, you know, with Matt Fraction writing for Chaikin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Fraction and Chaikin both have confirmed it as this is almost like Fraction doing Chaikin fan fiction. And I don't know why, but that <laughs> rankled me so much. I was like, no, no, I don't want Chaikin fan fiction. I want Chaikin actually doing the whole damn thing himself. I don't want some knockoff. So to this day, I tried um, the first issue of Satellite Sam, and it, it didn't do anything for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just like, eh, eh, this would be much better if Chaikin wrote and drew this thing himself. You know what I'm saying? So it's almost like for myself, I'm the same way. Like, I tend to go more towards, like, stuff now that he both writes and illustrates. Like, little one-shots he'll do here and there. I'll pick those up because I still like seeing new shaking art, but highly prefer him both doing both tasks, you know, wearing both hats for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's had successes collaborating with other writers. I mean, one of my favorite shaking stories, and this, this has been documented many times on the previous iteration of the show, is the... Um, the Marvel Spotlight number 31 with Nick Fury, written by the aforementioned Jim Starlin. You know. There you go. <laughs> yeah, one of my absolute favorites. And, um, you know, he's collaborated, like, with Lynn Wein on uh, that uh, Gideon Faust character mm -hmm. uh, in Star Reach. And with other writers, too. But I do much prefer, like, even, like, Batman Houdini. I liked him writing uh, a story that Marciarella illustrated. Mm -hmm. Twilight, you know, I liked 
him doing something with with the God Jose Garcia. You know, excuse me, Jose. Excuse me, Luis. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, and he's had others. You know, he's had other collaborations. I think. Um, let's see. Not City of Tomorrow. There was another one he did. Was it Bike Club? That's right. That's right. Yeah, it was, it was Bike Club. And in fact, he also did American Century as well. That's it. That's what I'm trying to think yeah. of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But. Now I was just going to say it's so interesting when he writes those stories, they're, they're of a certain type of feel because he's had collaborators on the writing side as well. Like he'll, he's collaborated with, uh, I think, David Tishman. Um, uh, he's collaborated with uh, John Francis Moore. And I want to say there was one more and he broke it off with him. Maybe I'm thinking of John Francis Moore, um, but now he writes pretty much solo, you know, now, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but um, there's something to the type of material that he does where it's like you're, you're reading it. It's like, you know, this would be, this is really great. The artist that's on here is really good, but this would almost just be up one notch if Chaykin was drawing this himself. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. it's almost like when he's doing both tasks, the scripting that he does has the extra bite to it. You know, I'm thinking specifically of stuff like, you know, the shadow, um, a lot of that 80s stuff just has the extra invective to it, the extra sharp wit, that shaking, uh, that tang to it. You know, it's <laughs> unmistakable. Unmistakable. It's like it's like some good macaroni and cheese. Some it's like, eh, this is right, this craft, this out the box. But when you get some homemade, they got that extra cheddar to it. Uh, that's what shaking is. <laughs> I would agree with you. And I think part of that is the fact that his work, more than any other, seems to represent all of his interests. Yes. You know what I mean? Like his interest in, you know, music from the 30s and the 40s, uh, fashion. Yeah. His interest with retro things, even though I don't consider him to be necessarily like a, a a retro guy per se, but you know his interest in you know old designs and his interest in like uh, like the stage, you know, like theater, you know, and theater. I don't mean just theater. I mean theater in the sense of the slightly broadness of the delivery of theater. You get a sense of that in all of his stuff. I mean, people will call American flag, a, you know, a, a political satire, and it, and it was, it is, and it was. But to some extent, all of Chicken's work is kind of satirical in a way. Oh, yeah. It's kind of, it kind of has kind of a, a wit, but not like a comedy wit or a comedy. It, there's something else to it. So I think all of his, I think his work kind of exudes and is, is suffused by all of the things that he's interested in. And that's one of the reasons why when you read it, it's like, ah, what is this? There's there's some foreign element in here. Who put some who put some goddamn raisins in the macaroni and cheese or you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know like what? What are you doing? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, I wonder too if that's because he's of a certain age as well. You know, so he's able to depict like these um these past elements, these historical elements without affectation. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, whereas a lot of older artists are looking to keep up with like whatever the newest, hottest trends are, so to speak, to keep their work relevant, Mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, 
He's like, no, this is what I'm interested in. And I can tell it from my perspective because partly I'm closer to a lot of those errors than, you know, um, the a lot of these younger contemporary artists, you know. When you think about it, though, that's he's always done this, though. He's he's been drawing stuff, you know, that was uh, set in periods since he was in his 20s and his 30s. Like he's always done this. As a matter of fact, in that interview that I, met, I referenced earlier, the interviewer, he was telling the interviewer that when he goes over to Europe, they always think that he he and some of his uh, his other like Walt Simonson and um, uh, I guess, you know, other people that he would consider contemporaries at the time. People in Europe always thought or fans in Europe always thought that he was older than he was. And the interview even made the point. He says, well, maybe it's because of the kind of stuff that you do. You know, it's always in the 40s and the 50s and the 30s. So maybe that's why they think you're. So he's always been doing this ever since he was a young man. I think that's just where his interests lie. You know, and then going back to, you know, he he has often said, you know, comics. And, and I would imagine, you know, uh, uh, other forms of storytelling. You know, it should be thrills, chills and spills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's very that's that's probably that was probably a phrase that was born you know, decades ago in the, maybe in the thirties or the forties, uh, maybe even earlier than that, like in, you know, in the, in the, in the radio days, you know, who knows, but, mm-hmm. you know, this guy has a career that goes back 50 years and we are here to try and litigate and, uh, and pare it down as, 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 as Herculean a task as that may be to his, his five best comics, you know? Uh, so, uh, 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 Sir, I have to admit, I gotta admit, man, this is gonna be way tougher than our previous top five episode. The Miller, that that was a cakewalk compared to this. Yeah, seriously, this is gonna be <laughs> tough. Yeah, yeah, and and we, you know, there are some things that we're gonna miss, and there are some things that we're gonna cer- certainly uh, spotlight and show love for along the way, but. Yeah, it was it was difficult for me too because when I when I first started doing the Frank Miller, I was like, oh, I had like maybe six or seven. Right. So I was like, okay, I'll argue with Adrian. We'll we, you know we'll 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 go back and forth and cross we'll examine each out. other. Yeah. yeah, exactly, and get it down to a to a, a tight five. But when I started listening to stuff of his that I really dig, and really in some cases it's just one comic, it's just a one thing that he did. There was probably more than ten, maybe twelve. Wow. You know, you know, on the list. And I, you know, this is I'm someone who bought the uh, the uh, the paperback covers that he that he he painted. Oh, man. See? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a copy of the uh, the illustrations he did for uh, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. You, now, did you ever get the uh, portfolio set? Yeah. And uh, I think it was was it a study in Scarlet? Was that the. That's it. I think that's. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't have it any longer. Oh. But I do remember getting it and was like, oh, wow, this is kind of interesting and weird in a way. You know, like you were talking about Miller <laughs> illustrating some YA novel. And it's like, okay, you know, but um, but I remember getting it and really digging it. And and for me as a person who was drawn to Chaikin's work, I pr- probably read an interview and then it made sense that he had actually apprenticed for Wally Wood. Not that Wally Wood's work is... Similar to his, Wally Wood's work is, you know, Wally Wood was a much better draftsman and uh, a better drawer, if you will. Yeah. But the fact that that Wally Wood was, you know, a storyteller 
And Wally Wood was very much kind of a journeyman in the same way that Chaikin is. He's a journeyman. These are people who are dedicated, who go to work every day and who do the job. You know, they come in, they sit down, they clock in, they do the work. Um, the work is work, but it's also craft. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you see Chaikin writing these essays about, you know, making comics and the business of comics and making comments on the history of comics and, you know, and the comic creators and so forth. He is someone who is a journeyman. But at the same time, you know, I think I think he views the work as worthy of esteem and, and, and high regard. You know, it is craft. So, you know, Wally Wood, that made sense. Gray Morrow, that made sense. Gil Kane. Gil Kane. Gil Kane, that made sense. Especially like he says, you know, Gil Kane, again, their art is doesn't resemble each other at all. But he said he learned how to be a professional being an assistant to Gil Kane, how to do the work, how to deal with editors and and, you know, and get paid. And, you know, and I guess, you know, all the all the things that behind the scenes that, you know, that a freelance comic book creator would have to, you know, have to know and have to uh, to gain as part of their uh, professional skill set, not their creative skill set. Yeah. So um, but let's uh, let's get into it, man. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, not unlike our conversation about Frank Miller's best five best comics. Yeah. Okay. Without question, American Flag is in the top five, right? It's, that's that's in his that's, five best. Yeah. Come on, man. That's we, a given. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Don't, don't be tripping. Come on, man. Right. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> that's that's absolutely in there. And just going back and looking at that stuff. Uh-huh. That's really the uh, the demarcation point for me. There's actually, and it's funny if you look at his career, career timeline from a, from a, an image standpoint. The early stuff, he's kind of trying to be a little more like the Wally Woods and the Gray Marls and his contemporaries. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a little more illustrative. He's trying to kind of draw, draw. It doesn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then a few years later, you see him start to kind of break it down a little bit. You see him start to pay a little more attention to just like graphic design and shape and, you know, really honing in on the balance of of focus of the page, Um, the page as a piece, the panel as a piece, black and white, you know, all that Starwich stuff, Cody Cody Starbuck, um, Gideon Faust, you know, even the stuff he did for Marvel, uh, Kane and... um, the Nick Fury story yeah, I read. Dominic Fortune. Dominic Fortune. Dominic Fortune a little less so. Uh, at least the early, the very first version of Dominic Fortune. That stuff going into um, American Flag, it's almost like that's the first stuff was like 2D. 2D animation. And then we start to get into more sophisticated 2D animation. And then eventually we get into 3D animation. And I have some some criticisms of like the coloring of his work in the 2000s, the late 90s and the 2000s. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Where it just got really overbearing with the color. Where I was just like, ah, oh, you know, who's doing this? Muddy. Yeah, 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 very muddy, very muddy. You know, really <laughs> saturated browns and purples and blues. And so you couldn't see what he was doing, um, you know, with his ink lines and with his, uh, you know, with his, with his solid line work. But... American flag, man. When did you? Now you're again. You're a, an image guy. You're a '90s guy. Yeah. When did you, did you did you take to American flag right away? 
Well, see now for me, it's a good thing you brought that up because I did want to mention like when did I first take notice of shaking as a young collector and <laughs> as all things, it happened in Wizard. This was back in like 94. <laughs> yes, I, that was my that was my byway, man. That was that was my Bible. Comics journal for you. Wizard for me. Hey, OK. But, all right, all right. <laughs> but um, yeah, this is about 94. And. There was a long article about Shaken in there, maybe like five pages of wet night. It was talking about him coming back to do uh, Power and Glory for Malibu um, in that Bravura line. Mm -hmm. And he just talked about, oh, well, he's he's a creator that's been here for a long time. He went off to write The Flash and do some other television um, projects. And now he's coming back to comics. And he had done uh, Midnight Men before this for the Epic line. And um, he was... Yeah, he now he was coming back to do like, you know, power and glory. So I remember reading that and if I could be honest, man, I thought he I, he came off like an asshole to me. Like I remember reading this just thinking like, why does he sound like a jerk? He just sounds like an asshole. Which is funny because I think as a young person, mm -hmm. you you're not privy to the pragmatism that this craft takes. You know what I'm saying? So he's a straight shooter. He's telling you, this is why I'm doing this. This is this is what I'm doing. And that directness, I think, is off-putting to a lot of fans who maybe are weighing more on superhero comics, which I was. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so it was just like, eh, eh. And his artwork as well during that period was, was kind of weird, too. I love it now, but I remember looking at it then, it was like, it looks like he's trying to do some whack ass image, you know, because it had all the like, you know, dagger <laughs> marks and all the hash marks that you would find in like Scott Williams inking. It's like, what is he trying to do? This and all. No. But it <laughs> but, but I'll tell you the first stuff that I got of his where I was like, okay, this kind of works. And it was around, well, I was like maybe 15 or 16. Um, you can find straight issues of like that shadow mini series in the cheap bins. Like yeah, you can yeah. close your eyes and almost pick one out. They're that ubiquitous. Yeah. And I got that maybe like issue, I think two or three. Um, and I was like, okay, this is, this is straight. All right. All right. And what attracted me to it once I saw that stuff was the sharpness of the graphics. Mm -hmm. that stuff kind of more approached like the stuff I was used to then, like the sharp graphics of like the image type of style. So it was like, I halfway started to make a connection. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Mm -hmm. I was like, ah, okay, okay. But it really didn't hit me until I, until like I was an older teenager. Once I did get more familiar with Alex Toth and other, you know, um, classic creators. So I was like, Ah, okay, now I get it. And I think I had to mature just a little bit too, you know, to start understanding his stuff. Because his stuff is not written for kids, so to speak. And it's not to put, you know, superhero, superhero material down, but his stuff is written above that. You know what I'm saying? Like his stuff in its own way is, is very much um, mature reader oriented and i don't mean ne not necessarily in the subject matter but just in the approach to it you know and even he mm -hmm. said it he said it himself when we interviewed him on a previous incarnation he was saying you know when it came to certain things like times squared 
you probably weren't old enough to get it, you know, mm-hmm. you like the understanding material. And I think that's true. And that's my experience with his work. Totally. You know, it wasn't until I was an older teenager going into like being a young man in my 20s that I was like, yeah, now it's starting to hit me. All right, bet, bet. I'm, I'm down. You know what I'm saying? And circling back on around to Flag, the stuff on Flag hit me around that same time in my late teens. Once I understood what he was doing, and I was familiar by then with like the whole package. Mm-hmm. Him, obviously Ken Bruzenak, like that Ken Bruzenak inking, um, the lettering, pfft, done deal. Done deal. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? He that that that's half of the battle right there. You know what I'm saying? So just the whole package and oh, you gotta mention, man, the other core ingredient too, aside from Chaikin's writing and the Bruzenak lettering, that duo tent, man. And the China markers and Ooh, the, oh, yeah, bruh, bruh, that all of that together. It's like, oh, just the complete package. I, I yeah. love that stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, very much like, again, going back to the whole uh, the whole cartoonist vibe, you know, the idea that this is, you know, that this the images and that the writing that all of this feels like one person's vision and one person who is skilled enough and talented enough and ambitious enough to execute this vision well you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i just remember when flag was coming out monthly it just looked different from everything else it felt different it read different you know as the kids say today it just hit different (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. it was just uh it was just it was just wonderful and i don't think it was a crazy big seller it was certainly successful and it had a lot of critical acclaim you know there were the heads knew you know that uh you know this guy howard chaykin who had kind of knocked around with walt simonson and james sherman and um and kind of came up in you know in the ranks along the same uh, time that bernie wrightson and mike kaluta did that he was kind of coming into his own. But, you know, and, and it's funny because as it relates to us uh, moving on, you mentioned uh, when we were talking earlier that Chaikin is really like a definite part of the 80s as a result of this. Oh, yeah. You know, not unlike a John Byrne and Chris Claremont, not unlike a Bill Sienkiewicz and Doug Minch, not unlike anyone else that you would consider to be a real star you know, someone who became a star in the 80s or someone who became a fan favorite. Mm-hmm. You know, he's right there. And and you mentioned earlier as well, after American Flag, for the most part, you know, going into the 90s, you know, he, there's a period in there, obviously, where he left comics and he worked in television as a, uh, uh, as a writer. But, you know, everything is kind of like special projects. Right. You know, you got Blade, you know, he did Blade for like a year in, in like 2009 or 2010, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But everything is special projects. Everything is, hey, can you do a reboot of this or relaunch of that or him, you know, pitching something? Hey, let me get this. Let me get that or whatever. And um, and there were just a lot of real successes, I feel, creative successes um, along the way. Um, so let's 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 definitely say, OK, American flag is, is in there. We know that. Right. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So are there any for you, any single issue stories that you say this is his best? Ah, uh, Because that's what we're talking about. His five best. 
a single issue stories because we could talk about runs and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if we're going to talk about a guy who's done like one here, one there or four here or six there and kind of got in and got out, he's the he's the guy. But see, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing uh, for me. It's like his stuff reads better um, as a, as a whole collection, you know, like, you know, when you read like something like the shadow, you know, I don't have the single issues anymore. I have just the, just the, uh, collection, the original paperback and it finds, and it is for me, it's almost like, I think of him more as a true graphic novelist in the purest sense he draws and his writing is such that it almost reads better for me as a collected edition, you know, rather than monthly, you know? Um, so a lot of, so the other things that are on my list, um, except for one, which I think we'll agree on as well. Um, they're all like, they would be like the, the actual stories, you know, as opposed to the single issues. Um, I get the feeling that you have single issues rather than whole stories. So, I have both, to be honest. I mean, on my list... Okay. I'll go ahead and give you my list. On my list, I've got, for consideration, I've got Blackhawk, I've got The Shadow. I really enjoyed Batman and Robin Thrill Killer with Dan Brereton. Oh, I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I really dug that. Uh, Marvel Spotlight 31. And see, that's just, a, that's just a one and done. So, you know, I mean... And he didn't write it. You know, Jim Starlin wrote it, but... I do like Monarch Star Stalker. Oh, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, cr- that crazy character. Uh, I like the Dominic Fortune backup stories in Hulk Magazine. Yeah. You know, with the uh, with the full color. Yeah. Uh, I'm a Cody Starbuck guy. I'm a Gideon Faust guy. I really fucking dug Mighty Love, yo. See, that's the one where I'm like, ah. See? Mm. <laughs> That, that's a swing and a miss, man. I was like, ah. I really liked it, man. Uh, every time I saw the title, I always thought about that Spinner song, Mighty Love. You know that song? Yeah. <laughs> Mighty Love. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes, yeah. hey, a rich man weak. Knock him off his feet. <laughs> I always thought about the Spinner song. But, you know, here's a guy. Who actually did? It's not a, ro- a rom com in a comic, but it's like a romantic love story, or yeah, uh, almost like a bit of a of a farce. It's like you know, uh, you got mail or or shop around the corner or something like that, but in comic book form, and it worked. Like he did it. Like he did it. They had a meet cute, and oh, I didn't know. Oh yeah, Jamasco. I didn't know it was you. I mean, it was just it, was, it worked for me. <laughs> And, and again, it was kind of satirical in a way. I mean, it wasn't to be taken seriously. Yeah, sure. But it was very entertaining in, in almost the same way that a rom-com would be, like a really good rom-com would be. But I dig that. Anyway, Mighty Love, uh, Black Kiss. Black Kiss? That's on my list as well. Black Kiss? Yes. Black Kiss. Um, and then, you know, The Stars My Destination, Swords of Heaven, Flowers of Hell. And Empire. Empire, Empire? No. and also yeah. Solo. Oh, yes, 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 yes. You know, where of he course, basically just, you know, he gets to pull out his big dick and set it on the table and say, this is how I do what I do, <laughs> and just thump the table with his big dick. And I was like, wow, you know. you know. And again, Solo is an example where, you know, he can take all of the things that are interesting to him 
from a writing standpoint, from a narrative standpoint, from a graphic design standpoint, from an illustrative standpoint, his love of old things, his love of or his interest in, uh, you know, thrills, chills and spills. There's a little bit of superhero in there, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't pull out my um, my solo uh, hard hardcover uh, to double check this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's jazz. There's fashion. You know, there's, you know, all of these things that that he really loves. And the thing about it is, is, I mean, he's made, you know, I hate to use the whole he's an old soul in a young body because, again, he's been doing he's been doing, you know, retro oriented work since he was in his 20s and 30s. But I say that to say that when he does it, it doesn't feel like pastiche to me. You know, I'm saying it doesn't feel cheap. That's right. It doesn't feel um, you don't get a sense of artifice from it. You know, he loves you know, older retro things. He loves fashion. He loves jazz. He loves the stage. And it's it it feels authentic. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's very little, if any, affectation when he does a lot of that older material, you know, or material that takes place in like previous decades, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like the difference between, say, him doing, you know, that type of material and somebody like uh the late Uh, Dave Stevens doing The Rocketeer, also set in the 30s. You know, while The Rocketeer was very well drawn and so forth, you know, you get the feeling from Shaken's work, it has more of a verisimilitude to it. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Mm -hmm. Whereas with um, Stevens and other people who do material like that, there's very much an affectation to it. You know what I mean? And, And Shaken's work always feels grounded. You know, and that's not just the uh, older retro material. That's like all his material. It's almost very. It could be very salt of the earth. It could be. It could be very, very gritty as well. You know, there's no black and white. Everything is gray. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone has shades of gray to them. You know, there's no deadly do right there. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, what's on your list, man? What? What? What's? Tell me everything that's on your list. All right, well, uh, off top, I got American Flag, uh, number two. And this is in no particular order. Uh, number two is Black Kiss. Just the first one. Right. Part two and the uh, special, they're okay. They're all right. But that first one, I think it's some of his best work, you know. N- not, not for period reasons either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> number three, The Shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, number four, uh, Black Hawk. Number five, that Marvel Spotlight, number 31. You know what I mean? Ooh, baby. That's Ooh. that's the champion. Got the belt. <laughs> and then my honorable mentions would, of course, be like that solo issue. Let's see. I'm, I'm looking over at my stack over here. I read back over that Hey Kids comics, and I remember telling you um, in a text exchange a couple of days before, like, I didn't think it was too essential, mm-hmm. but reading back on it, and catching up on all the issues that I just got, you know, um, recently as well of the newest series. It's very good. You know what I'm saying? And the thing is, it's a very bearded. It's him doing a bearded account, so to speak, of a period in comics that he's very familiar with starting in the, uh, the 50s on through the period where he got into comics in the 70s. You know what I'm saying? And if you know comic book history lore, like industry lore, you'll recognize a lot of the characters that are in there. You know what I'm saying? 
mm-hmm. if you're a true head like we are, you'll know, oh yeah, that's his version of Wally Wood. Oh yeah, that's his version of Julius Schwartz. That's definitely his version of Gil Kane and so forth. You know, so it kind of has that 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 fun aspect of it, but the writing on there is really good too. It's almost like his indictment of the industry, but at the same time doing a recollection of how the industry came to be what it was starting in the 50s, you know, to ostensibly to the present. Yeah, man. So yeah, so that's some of what's on my list. When I first saw Hey Kids uh, being advertised and talked about, it almost felt like his version of like Cavalier and Clay. Is that is that the impression you get at all? Hmm. You know, that's a good point. That's a good point. And I can see how you would think that as well, you know, because it is along those same lines in terms of, again, it, it's a bearded attempt to, you know, um, capture, you know, th- these particular eras in comics through these ensuing decades. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you would not be you would not be totally wrong in that comparison for sure. Yeah, that's a good that's a good good uh, corollary. Yeah. OK. All right. So I'm guessing for you, and I'm not saying bringing these up to, to make fun, but uh, Divided States of Hysteria. I, I have that. Like all his latter day like graphic novels, I, I got those. And those read. <laughs> it's crazy because I, I, I love modern day shaking so much that even when the story takes these weird twists and turns that you're like, narratively, this is all over the place. But I still fucks with it anyway because it's shaking. Right. Like this divided states of hysteria, um, midnight of the soul. Um, Batman Dark Allegiances, yo. Oh, Batman Dark Allegiances. <laughs> Remember earlier you were talking about the coloring on that? Yeah. That's the only shaking I have ever thrown away because that coloring was atrocious. Yeah. It was being colored in the late 90s by um, this coloring house called Digital Chameleon. I remember. Who did a lot of DC books. Mm-hmm. Terrible. T- all their books almost are terrible. With the coloring, no. Yeah. But, you know, the story was good if I could have made it through the coloring, man. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say I may be confusing either Midnight Men or... Maybe it was Challengers way later on. But I remember there was some later era Chaken stuff where Steve Ola, what is Steve Ola cover? Was that Blackhawk? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's Blackhawk. Where you see Olaf, who I could yeah, I think he's, you know, mostly considered to be uh, you know, an accomplished colorist and someone who Oh yeah. At least understands color as it relates to storytelling. The balance of his colors against Chaken's artwork was perfect, where it was certainly well past the four color, you know, kind of almost cave drawing coloring that, you know, we had in early comics, which I still kind of love. But, you know, you go back and you look at stuff, and you're like, OK, why? Why are the black people purple? What? <laughs> gray. Yeah. yeah. Gray. What's what's going on there? You know, or, you know, just where, you know, it would just be like, OK, this is all we had. It's very much it's, this is all we had. But Olaf's coloring on Black Hawk looked great. You know, uh, it wasn't too saturated. You know, there was a sense of foreground and background. Um, you could still appreciate Chaykin's line work mm-hmm. and then also appreciate the col- the coloring in it. I think that was the last time for me in a big way where the coloring just worked. Modern coloring worked with his art. Almost all the stuff after that just seems like 
and again, I mean, guess I guess we are talking about like challengers. We're talking about uh, power and glory, which was just a hot fucking mess. Hey, 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 man! Hey, I'm sorry. Man. Hey, man. Damn! <laughs> come on, power and glory. That's that's that. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so if we look at our lists, and I mean, there's other stuff in there that honorable mention, like uh, those enemy A stories again at the uh, at the back of uh, Men of War. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and the reason I dug them was because I was becoming a fan of Chaken, and I absolutely adored Joe Kubert's Enemy Ace. I absolutely mm. worshipped it. And so I bought those, and I just kind of went with it. And again, you know, it almost looks like some of that older stuff. You know, he's he's inking like with sharpies and micro pens. It doesn't look like brush or uh, a crow quill or anything like that at all. Yeah, for sure. But um. But I, I really like those. But I, um, since we both agreed on it, let's go to it. Black Kiss. All right. Okay. Yes. Now. A long pause. I, I can't even remember what the what the mood was when this came out. Hmm. Well. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I can't. What, what year was it? Was it published? Do you remember? Yeah, it was published by Vortex initially in like 87, 88. Okay. So I was like 21, 22, uh, no, 23, 24, maybe. Wow, I, I can't remember anything other than everybody was like, what? If, if Before there was a WTF, what the fuck? <laughs> People were like, what the, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> vampires and threesomes and nudity and, and, and hermaphrodites and hermaphrodites and, you know, and, and booty holes and, and coochie holes and, <laughs> and peepees and sperm and and cum guzzling and fucking uh fuck it. I mean all of it, yo. And this is before this is, before, this is years and this is decades before Pornhub. So the best porn we saw was, you know, Swedish erotica and you know, garter belts and yeah. You know, maybe the 80s video craze was starting to happen, but you know, even that stuff was hard to get your hands on. And we we're like, what? <laughs> I, it was it was something else, but it worked. Like as a narrative piece, yes. It worked. You know, and it was kind of like a noir thriller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the story itself. But when you first saw that, and, and again, I don't know, I know you probably jumped around in terms of how you saw, I saw this stuff more or less in chronological order once you got to the 80s. I went back for the stuff in the 70s, but in the 80s moving forward, I saw it as it was coming out. When did when did Black Kiss land in your lap? You know, no, no, you know, pun intended. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> when did you bust one to Black Kiss, yo? <laughs> <laughs> Dang, just, ah. Man, for me, <laughs> for me, Black Kiss was something like you know, I obviously you know I could not get my hands on it as a as a youngster, you know, even as a teenager. And plus, you know, a lot of people don't remember this. Like the actual issues, if I recall correctly, they were very thin. They were like sixteen pages or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't even like a full thick comic book, you know. And um, mm-hmm. for me. I finally came across Black Kiss. I think I got, there was a reprint put out by Vortex and I got a stray paperback of that when I was in my mid-20s. 
and a paperback was called Big Big Black Kiss. Right. And uh, I was like, oh, dang, hey, that, that's all I could say. I, as I'm reading it, I had heard <laughs> about it. I knew kind of the subject matter. And all I would say was like, dang, oh, damn, damn. You know, he, man, <laughs> dang, shaking went in. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but, <coughs> yeah, man, <laughs> no pun intended again, but the thing about Black Kiss for me is, aside from, like I said, the, the, the period, you know, uh, material, it's also like some of the densest graphics that he and Bruzenek have collaborated on. Like, each page is just so, so dense. And it's a good thing that they kept it in black and white. Right. Had they tried to color it, it would have been it would have been terrible. It would have been information overload. Yeah. Just absolutely not needed. So black and white not only helped with the um, subject matter and the noir aspects of the story, but I think graphically, too, it made it so much more attractive. You know what I'm saying? Almost as if you were reading a prose novel, even as opposed to like a graphic novel. Just by how dense it was, you know, and all these plots going back and forth and these characters and double crosses and what have you. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's when it hit me. And then um, Dynamite came out with the reprint of the original Black Kiss, um, like in the early 2000s. And I grabbed that because it was in hardcover. And then they came out with a Black Kiss 2. And then a Black Kiss Triple X Christmas special in July. Uh, yeah. a Christmas in July special. I was like, okay, all right. You got enough Black Kiss? Okay. <laughs> and, I <was> re- <laughs> and I was rereading those. And man, it's still just that first series for me. Like the sequel is, eh, it gives some backstory to how uh, those characters ended up, you know, where they were. But it was kind of unneeded. It was like, eh. So for me, it's just the original, man. The original still stands up. And the thing about it, too, is, is that Shaken was saying that he had wrote Black Kiss at a time where he was out there in L.A. You know, he was living in L.A. And he was really starting to feel the oppression um, himself personally as far as the city itself, like the personality of the city, which was totally different from New York. And he said you could just sense like the the, the, the paranoia and just the... Uh, the vibe of the city was just not good. Right. He he was feeling that. So that is one that's one of the things that kind of prompted him to write, you know, Black Kiss. And Black Kiss, you can see, it's a California slash Los Angeles type of tale. It's one of those things like uh Pope Fiction or a Tarantino movie. It could only happen in Los Angeles. You know what I'm saying? It wouldn't work anywhere else. And that's what Black Kiss is. It's a Los Angeles story for sure. Yeah. I, I kind of remember, man, when this came out, like, so, you know, we were shopping pretty consistently at a couple of different comic shops, but one of them was, of course, Oxford Comics. Yeah. And, you know, Oxford Comics had, you know, they had a mainstream comic section, which was, you know, 80% of the store. And then they had kind of the underground, the kind of, x-rated comics over over on the side here in the other 20 percent of the store and so once i was old enough to kind of go over there i could look and i remember it was that's where it was sold yes you know that's where that's where it was that's where it was kept and i almost i I almost want to say like they should have marketed that like by uh putting the book in like a uh, a paper bag 
Ah. Like a uh, like a nondescript pr- brown paper bag, like sell it that way. You know, as you know, you're, you're walking out of the store with your, you know, with your with your black kiss under your arm, uh, you know, ready to uh, ready to, uh, you know, to feast. But, um, yeah, I agree with you, man. And also too, the fact that it was in black and white lent to kind of an underground quality because there were a lot of, you know, underground 80s comics and independently uh, produced 80s comics that were in black and white. So. It definitely took it off the grid as far as mainstream comics were concerned. People who remembered Howard Chaykin from Star Wars or people who remembered Howard Chaykin from American Flag or from anything else prior, like they're going to know that this is a different Howard Chaykin, uh, you know, and, and even though I don't think Black Kiss really had anything to do, certainly visually or in terms of how it was uh, how it was drawn with um you know, his early work in, in like Star Reach, which was, you know, black and white. Yeah. But uh, but I think the black and white aspect of it, like you said, served it well. Those were very dense pages and it made it an easier read, you know, to, to a great extent. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. So I, I think Black Kiss goes on there. And then also, too, again, you know, purian uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, subject matter aside, the fact that he tried something like that executed it again to me is what makes it such a feat yes you know what i mean like there are you know i enjoyed matt fraction's sex criminals i think uh chip zardowski did the artwork for it i enjoyed the first trade of sex criminals and it's not the same thing i mean it has you know it's you know it's it's kind of lurid in a way and it does have a certain uh an untoward vibe to it but um (laughs) yeah but he tried it and he succeeded at it. And that's always to me like that's that's a credit to his talent and his vision and his ability to, you know, to get the thread and to pull on it and pull on it and pull on it and pull on it until the sweater unravels completely. You know what I mean? Yes. And the last thing I'll say about that is, is that it's the it's the the level of commitment to it, you know. Often in comics, when somebody does something like, I'll say it, something like a sex criminals or something like that, there's like this, ooh, naughty, naughty aspect to it. Like, ooh, you doing some nudity. Ooh, you cussing and swearing and having sex and all that. Ooh-wee. But it took somebody like shaking to be like, look, you need to stick the landing and commit to it. And that's what he did. Mm-hmm. And because he stuck the landing i think that made that made that sort of an outlaw kind of comic almost it's like mm-hmm. oh we you know comic book readers we want to see a little cheesecake we want to see a little you know whatever but we don't want to see the full full-on full monty no and he gave it to you he he committed to it he, he didn't let you go until that series was done yeah you know what i'm saying yeah yeah so okay so we got American Flag, we got Black Kiss. Yes. Okay, so let's debate. I mean, and we're kind of dealing with the biggies here. All right. Can this list have Black Hawk and the Shadow? Is there room for both? Are we if we were to us uh, to consider both, are we leaving out something else that would be considered essential? Because I really like Black Hawk. Yeah. And I really dig the Shadow. Mm-hmm. I maybe dig Black Hawk more again. Because of the, you know, the, the, the Joe Kubert fan in me, the Bob Kaniger fan in me, the Frank Robbins fan in me who kind of likes that stuff. 
And the fact that it's not superheroes, which he hasn't done a ton of superheroes. I mean, he's done quite a bit, but I mean, most of what he's known for is not traditional superheroes. Right. And this is, you know, this is, uh, and this was like a, like you mentioned earlier, this was like a reboot. This was like him doing a system refresh on Blackhawk. And again, it worked, especially, and I don't think, didn't he do a cover? He didn't do the interiors on it, but he did a cover. And it was just a tight portrait crop of uh, uh it, behind the. And he uh, got a thumbs up. And he's got a thumbs up. Yeah, that's a, that's the shit, yo. Or, or there's also there's that one, and there's another Blackhawk cover. Um, because it was actually the actual comic series. It's like the Blackhawk character's parachuting down. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did. Mm-hmm. He did like three or four covers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even the one that I really love, which was very uh, it was. I think it was a complete homage to uh, J.C. Landecker, where uh, he's dancing in the tuxedo with the woman. That's the one right there. Exactly. Exactly. Blackout. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really love it. So I almost love Blackhawk in terms of, of of a reboot or a refresh or relaunch or whatever the hell you want to call it more than I do the shadow. Because I thought it was more in his wheelhouse. Uh, I almost... And, and, and I'm, I'm tipping over into another episode. But I kind of prefer Kyle Baker's shadow to Chaken's shadow. It's just my preference. No, but you, but you know, the thing is, though, had had written back over the shadow over the past uh, couple of days, you know, mm-hmm. he set up kind of like the legwork for that um, Baker and Andrew Helfer many um, ongoing series, you know. and But to your credit, though, I do prefer that Baker and um, Andy Helfer series. Yeah, yeah. You know, definitely more than, than the many, you know. Um, but yeah, but is there room for the Shadow and Blackhawk on here? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. Cause <laughs> See, this is, why this, is why I, this is why I say no, though. Okay, all right. Solo got to be in there, man. <sighs> Doesn't it? Marvel Spotlight number 31, that's got to be in there, yo. It's got to be. Yeah, yeah, but we, I mean. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> and, I, and, and again. Oh, man. Just, just, just discussing those. I mean, I'm not even bringing in Empire. I'm not even bringing in uh, Stars My Destiny. I mean, all of that is not even making it. My, my Dominic Fortunes, which, dude, you would never, ever, ever under any circumstances gotten me to buy something called Hulk Magazine. Unless Dominic Fortune was in the back. That's it. <laughs> Hulk Magazine? No. I'm not going to do it. Oh. <laughs> Man, well, all right, all right, all right. Damn, yo. Damn, you got to be I in the tight we, spot. It's got to be one or the other, man, because there's too many. You had some other good stuff on there, too, right? On your list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, bet. All right, fine. We'll make the compromise at Black Hawk, all right, because, yes, the shadow that plays on later in a whole other episode that we'll be getting to shortly, but yeah, Black Hawk then. I bet. Okay. Okay. Black Hawk. <laughs> okay. Now, do we have to litigate? Do we have to, you know, actually debate on Marvel Spotlight Thirty One? No, we don't. Okay. No, right. that, that's that's right. a given. Yeah, that's, that's, in that's in there. That's in there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we got four. It's like on Red there. Goo. It's in there. <laughs> right, yeah. right, 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 right. <laughs> so we got four. 
That's right. Now the fifth spot, though. So let's do this. Do we need to leave room in a five best comics list for something that he wrote that another artist illustrated, like Thrill Killer, like Twilight? Yes. Like uh, Bike Club, like American Century, like Batman Houdini. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Did he write Son of Superman as well? I believe so, yeah. With Jay Williams? Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Do any of those fall into an essential category for you where it's like his five best? I really dig Thrill Killer. I really dig Batman Houdini. Twilight. Twilight for me. Twilight for you? Mm-hmm. Ugh. 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 What? What? You know, I... What was it? Was it the kick? I can't speak ill of the God, <laughs> yo. Uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, man. I can't speak ill of the God, yo. It was just, I was just. Was it the characters? It was, uh, for whatever reason, it just, it just missed me. I have it, but it just missed me. I was just like, okay, all right. It did, it didn't resonate. I mean, you know, all these are not going to be gems. We know that. Um, right, of course. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's that's. I don't know, man. See, see. I think we split on that one, dog. It's gonna be a no for me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I'm sorry, oh, man. yo. It's, it's gonna be a no for me, dog. <laughs> dang, dang. Well. Well, I tell you what, I, I will split the difference with you, and we can put. Well, no, nah, I can't even. I, I, nah, man. I was about to say I'll go thrill killer with you, but I, I'm not. I wouldn't even feel it like that, yo. No, nah, yo. <laughs> no, nah, but no, I love it. But Brereton's art is such an acquired taste. It's like non-alcoholic beer, or you know, fucking <laughs> vegan burgers or whatever. It's like <laughs> you really have to be into it. <laughs> and what's crazy is, is like with Burton, I remember being, you know, you know how you'll go through phases with certain artists, like for about six months, you'll be into so-and-so yeah. heavy. Yeah. And then once you're done, you'll give those issues away. That was like with me and Dan Brereton. So uh, it was during that time that I read Thrill Killer. I was like, this is this is pretty good. Yeah. You know, but then afterwards, I was like, ah, yeah, it's all right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I, I like the fact, like, he was painting back then, so I liked his paintings. That's right. They were very weird, but they were, you know, they were accomplished. He was he was a good painter, or he is a good painter. Yes. So, um, I would say, man, look. All right. I do think Batman Houdini, The Devil's Workshop, is great writing, but his five best... I say we don't sacrifice it. He's a writer artist. I say we don't sacrifice it for for something that he just wrote. Okay. I think then we, then I think then we're getting into our favorites, as opposed to really trying to be, you know, an impartial jury, and and determine okay, you know what happened and 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 who's guilty and who's not guilty. So yeah. Uh let's let's not let's not include those. Okay. So we got so far we got American flag. That's right. Black kiss. We've got Blackhawk. Yes. So we have two more spots to fill. Yes. Yes. Um. Again, it's almost like... Uh. 
It's almost like uh, someone saying, hey, let's just give him a solo album where he can just do whatever he wants. But I do think solo is is really fantastic. It's as impressive to me in terms of like I think exactly what solo was supposed to be. I think almost all of those issues, most notably Howard Chaikin's issue and uh, Darwin Cook's issue. Yes. You really see all the things that they do well and with very few ex- exception and certainly not Chaikin, certainly not uh, 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 Cook, where you see, oh, these motherfuckers are the truth. You know what I mean? Yeah. When something is the yeah. truth, it lives up to the hype. And you see it and you're like, God damn, that motherfucker did that shit. That jazz player with the with the fade haircut and the tweed jacket. Shaking yeah. is Shaking was the first person and maybe the only person I know who would let you know this is like a hound's tooth jacket or this is like a tweed jacket. Mm-hmm. With that pattern. You know, yep. when you see yep. when you see the texture of the fabric, you're like, damn, nobody else really did that before. You know, there are other people who have drawn fabrics where I was like, damn, how do I know that silk? Yeah. Damn, how do I know that chiffon? Damn, how do I know that's hound's tooth? But he, that whole tweed jacket vibe, he crushed it, man. And I, I just think everything he does well, he did extremely well in that book. And um, it just works for me, man. You know what? I, I'm, I'm I'm holding a copy of it now, and I'm taking another flip through it. Like I read it um, this past week, and you know, based on the criteria that you said, man, uh, nearly all of his interests are represented in there. You know, there's a western in there, there's uh, social commentary in there, there's social satire in there, there's some historical stuff in there, there's jazz in there, there's uh, even an autobiographical piece about him in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That issue of solo, that that needs to go on the list for sure. Okay, I agree okay. with you. Yes, sir. Okay, okay. So, are we at four? Is that four? Yep, we're at four. Okay. So now, what would you? Because I, I don't want to. I want. I want. I want you to have the last word, and then, and if if I'm not in full agreement, whatever, we'll litigate it. What would you throw out as a possible number five to round out the list? And again, it doesn't have to be a series. It doesn't have to be a mini series, limited series. Doesn't have to be a collective trade. It could be a single issue. It could be anything. What else do you think? Would you, what? What else would you uh, uh, submit to the court? All right, I'm gonna go off the beaten path here, if I may. And again, I know you say you can disagree with me, so please feel free to do so. I'm gonna go with not not a comic at all. I'm gonna go with that comics journal uh, issue number one hundred nine. That interview. That's that's it. That's it, baby. I, I that's because it. that's all you need. That's yes. It. I'm gonna that's go it. with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sir. Yeah. I and I, you know, I had stuff like that written down. I had the illustrations that he did for uh for Sherlock Holmes. I had the paperback covers written down just as honorable mentions. But the TCJ interview absolutely was it for me, man. Me and uh me and Fife, Michelle Fife, our friend. Went back and forth online talking about that. I was probably years ago. That thing was like a Bible for me, you know, in the sense that, again, pre-podcasts, pre-internet, pre-the availability of anything other than print interviews to kind of find out who was making this stuff, why they were making it, where they came from, where you thought they may be going. That was the only opportunity you had 
to discover that stuff. And I remember reading that interview, you know, and I was, you know, I was a kid who grew up, you know, uh, in a divorced household. You know, my father was not around much until I, you know, until I turned about 15. Mm -hmm. So to some extent, you know, I would unintentionally seek out kind of like surrogate dads and and kind of paternal figures in my life. And I remember reading that interview and I remember like understanding one that Chaikin was self-taught, you know, didn't have any real formal art training. He was really smart and well-read. He had a great vocabulary. Oh yeah. You know, he, uh, I even think I told you this and this is a weird thing and an embarrassing thing to admit, but you know, I remember when I met him in person at a fantasy fair, he was there along with uh, Bill Sienkiewicz and some other people. And I met him there and he would uh he wore, he wore his he cut his sideburns really really short. I think it was almost kind of a retro style kind of a thing. His sideburns were cut up above his earline. Yeah. And I remember I started cutting my sideburns in the same way. <laughs> really? I yes, and and I don't I don't remember why, but I just remember it was obviously a very specific look that he was going for. Is there a picture of him in there with that with that look? Yes. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's the guy I met at fan. That's the guy I met at the Atlanta Fantasy Fair. And That's hilarious. So, you know, and now he's, you know, he's he is a white, you know, guy from New York City. I am a 17 or 18-year-old black kid living in Southwest Atlanta with short sideburns, you know. What did I think I was doing? But I was just so impressed with him as a person and as as a personality. And I just remember that. But yeah, like the fact that he was self-taught, I was like, well, man, if he's self-taught, I can be self-taught. Yeah. You know, and, and he was really well read, although I don't think he went to college. So a lot of that was, you know, that was him basically reading and educating himself in the same way that you would read like Sylvester Stallone, you know, never was not college educated, but he's a really smart guy. I mean, he reads a lot. You know, he consider, he stays creatively curious and uh, and absorbs, you know, everything. That's right. And so I was like, OK, well, you know, I, you know, I, I, you know, I can improve my vocabulary. I mean, just things like that made an impression on me from reading that TCJ interview. And then I think maybe in that interview, he mentions things that made sense to me later on from an artistic perspective that he would become interested in the work of a guy like Baron Story or David Grove mm -hmm. or... Um, you know, that sort of thing, you know. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I do consider that to be still to this day. It was a, it was a very influential document uh, in terms of me truly connecting with him as a uh, as a creator. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned that yourself and our and our buddy uh, Michelle Fife, you know, uh, went back and forth about it. It was also Fife who recommended to me to get that uh, copy of a comics journal because he and I, you know, just like he and you and he are um, big shaking fans. The three of us are, you know what I'm saying? So anything shaking coming out, we'll just say, Hey man, did you get that? You heard about this coming out? That type of thing. And M Michelle, he made sure you got to get that. You have to have that in your collection. And man, I, I did the page count on it. That's the interview itself. is over 34 pages. Yeah. Yeah. 30, Four pages. Yeah. So it's nigh definitive. And the thing that I love about Chaken too is that 
he is consistent throughout. And we've read a lot of his interviews. We've even talked to the man as well. Mm-hmm. All everything he talks about is consistent. Everything. And the cool thing is, as you read from one facet of his career and then read a another interview at a different facet, you'll see how he's grown too. Like he's expanded upon, you know, a certain um artistic movement. Um, a certain way of doing the craft. Mm-hmm. He's expanded upon that, but he's still consistent in his approach to it, you know? But yeah, that Comics Journal interview is just like, it's 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 fantastic. Uh, it should be required reading for any cartoonist, you know? And just for any fan as well. Um, had I read that when I was younger, I probably would have still thought he was an asshole. Because mm-hmm. he's, because... He comes across as very direct and sharp in there. But as a grown-ass man, I find myself, when I read chicken interviews, I, I find myself nodding a lot. Like, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. Yep. <laughs> and, and you know, I don't always agree with everything that he says, but, you know, because he's an opinionated guy. And I think people think he's curmudgeonly or he's contrarian or whatever. And it's not that. I just think that he's, he's very opinionated. Mm-hmm. And he's not afraid to speak his opinion, but I don't consider his opinion or his position on things to be like immutable and fixed. You know what I mean? Right. It's not gospel. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he seems to be someone who, you know, maybe now, you know, that he's what 70 years old, you know, he may be a little more set in his ways. But prior to that, you know, he seemed to be adapting with what was going on. When he came back to mainstream comics and did that Blade series in the uh, in the mid two thousands um, with Guggenheim writing, and I was just like, "Why is he doing some shit with some guy named Mark Guggenheim?" I didn't give a fuck about Mark Guggenheim, <laughs> but you know, I yeah. mean, he was at the time, you know, he's like a fifty, probably a fifty eight, fifty nine year old guy, and he's, he wants to make a living, and this is an opportunity. And he knows how to do the job, and he did a good job. You know, he did it. He did. Uh, you know, he did great work on it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I do think that. Um, I think you're right, man. And how did you? How did you get that issue? Because you just you must have just gotten that a few years ago, right? That's right. That's right. When uh, Fife mentioned it, I went to mycomicshop.com and mm-hmm. I put it on my want list. You know, they have a great want list function on there. And it'll let you know as they get in books and they catalog through them, hey, this is on your want list. Do you want it? And you better get it because somebody else might have it on their want list. Ah. So as soon as that popped up in my email, I said, hell yeah. And I I got it about a week later in the mail. But, man, that's one of those jewels in my uh, collection, not just my shaking collection, but in my overall collection in general, that's just like, man, like every, like maybe so far I've read it like maybe twice a year. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like I'll just sit down and just read through it, you know, all over again, like every six months or so, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm just taken aback by all the things that you mentioned, his vocabulary, his thought process, you know, why he does what he does. Like he's totally cognizant of his his worth in the industry, his place inside the industry, like he likes to think of himself as like um, nowadays, it's like a almost like a a, a a cult figure, if you will, like somebody you speak of in like hushed tones. It's like, man, you remember Howard Shaken? 
oh yeah, that's the guy who did the Star Wars thing. And he's so much more than that. He he really is. Right. You know, I just think at large, people think he's the Star Wars guy, but that's only because they don't want to explore everything else that he's done besides that. And it's so much more. So much more, man. I don't know anyone who's a True Chicken fan who even mentions Star Wars. You see, we haven't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it never comes up for me. I, I totally forget that he ever worked on it. I'm just like, you know, but um, but yeah, man, uh, you, you are correct. You are correct. And I understand when he says he goes to conventions and, and, and people maybe don't line up, you know, to get signatures and to get things signed and so forth in the way that they may do some others, per se. Yeah. But at the same time, mm-hmm. he is a comic book creator of some renown. I mentioned to you in our text exchange, I think he is the thinking man's comic book creator. If if ever such a term could be could be used or coined, that's what he is. Uh, I think there is a fierce intelligence behind his work that I don't even get from people who only write. You know, he's a writer and an artist, but for some people who only write comics, I don't necessarily get that same fierceness and that same uh, that tooth to the work that I get from his work. Um, and so I, I I agree with you, man. And um. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm not even sure how to finish my uh, my thought. But yeah, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah. I but I definitely think like from what we have, if this was a time capsule, we say okay, we need to create a a time capsule. So if aliens, you know, if the world blows up and aliens find this time capsule drifting on the solar winds and they open it up, and we need them to know, okay, if you want to fuck with some Howard Chaykin, what what do you what do you need to get? <laughs> If you need some Howard Chicken, what do you need to get? Yes. Okay, so it's American Flag. It's Black Kiss. It's Marvel Spotlight number 31. It's Solo. Mm-hmm. And then it's the TCJ interview. What is that? One, 109 or 191? Oh, uh, 109. 109. 109. Okay. So they'll they'll have what they need from that. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.